Welcome to Breaking the Cycle of Poverty featuring Jay Height, Executive Director of Shepherd Community Center in Indianapolis. My name is Tim Swearens, and I'm your host for these conversations that explore why poverty remains such a persistent problem in the United States. On this episode, we're continuing our conversation about a unique ministry called the Shalom Project, which Shepherd launched in 2016. Jay, one of the unique aspects of the Shalom Project are the partnerships that Shepherd has with government entities, including the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department. Uh, some people might not think of ministry and police in the, in the same sentence, but Shepherd did years ago and still does. How has that partnership worked out? Well, I think lives are being changed and impacted. We're going to hear some of that today. Uh, but it's changed the conversation. And that I think, and, and I think Adam will probably talk a little bit more about this, but it's, it's community policing at its best. It's where a police officer has a, a whole vast array of tools at his disposal through the Ministry of Shepherd Community that can help change people's trajectory, give them more options, and help them see that there is a different path they could take. We're, we're joined today by a member of the Shalom team, Indianapolis Police Officer Adam Perkins. Jay, will, will you introduce Adam to our listeners? Yeah, Adam is uh, a great friend, a colleague, someone who I admire, and uh, anyone who puts on a vest and, and goes to work each day, I think, is a hero for our community. Uh, Adam not only puts on a vest, but he, he lives out who he is as a Christ follower, but as someone who wants to change the community where he lives, works, and worships. Adam, you've been part of the Shalom team, Shalom Project, since the, the launch. Uh, what are a key, couple of key lessons you've learned along the way? Um. I, I had a lot to learn about poverty in general and kind of what makes people do the things that they do that from an outsider looking in, you're like, well, why would you make that decision or why would you choose that path? Um, you know, I was uh, raised in a you know suburban uh, lifestyle for most of my life and um, I had a lot to learn about, you know, this neighborhood, although I had worked in and around this neighborhood in the past, um, I didn't really understand uh, the community as um, well as I think I do today. Um, Every day has been a continual lesson in things for me. Um, And, you know, Shepard supported a lot of that learning. you know, when, when we took a look at Poverty 101's material, um, it shed some light on, on just, again, how, how our neighbors have lived their lives generationally and, and what's lacking there to really have the, the productive um, life. And... I think I learned a lot about just how lonely our neighbors are. Now, you know, it's easy to see in, in the um, elder community, the, the elderly neighbors who don't have a lot of family coming around anymore or are otherwise disconnected from them, who've lived in our neighborhood for decades, and this neighborhood is not what it looked like when they settled here, and now they are... Um, 
afraid to leave their own home, their own space. Um, that that's that's a, a kind of loneliness that's easy to see. Yes. Uh, but there's a lot of other uh, kinds of loneliness floating out there, um, and you know you see that in in folks that just don't have anybody pouring into their lives and saying that, hey, your life can be different than it is now. Um, want, uh, having relationships that can teach that uh, concept of future orientation and, and of those uh, impactful relationships that you need in place um, to change your own narrative. And... Um, those have been been things that have been interesting to see. Um, another um, concept that that I have discovered is um, these these things that these crises that our families go through um, isn't something that just easily is resolved with with money. Oftentimes, it's it's not that at all. Oftentimes, it's they have no idea how to connect to existing resources or uh, budgeting issues or um, you know they they need something done to their home that would ease that burden on them and they just don't have any connections on how to even go about doing those things um, and so much of that can be handled through relationships. So the concept of trying to move systems from transactional to relational mm -hmm. has been one of the biggest game changers of what we're, we're doing. It's easy to sit back and say, well, you know, you can use this, this, and this, and, you know, reach out to them and, and you know, apply for this program or that program. And we have so many neighbors that are just lost in how to actually execute some of those things. Or they've been told no so many times. They've conditioned themselves to not push through that, that negative response. And just with a little support from a relationship, you know, sitting on their couch, sitting on their front porch and taking that phone call with them, um, prompting them maybe the right questions to ask or... Um, the right buttons to push um, to help them get over that obstacle. And they get over one or two of those obstacles that used to be crises, and now this light bulb is turning on, and they want more. And, and we're just trying to improve quality of life to a point that they then want to take over and, and continue to improve it, and then improve it for the neighbors. The number of times that we've help somebody out through a relationship and the light bulb turned on for them and now they're realizing their next door neighbor has some struggles that could be possibly um, helped with what we're doing. Then they're calling and say, hey, do you mind coming over and meeting with my neighbor? They got this or that going on. So that's, that's how we're going to change um, the reality for this neighborhood, for this community. And for that matter, uh, if this expands into other communities and other areas of the state and the other areas of the country, 
and we can convince them that there's a way to do public safety in a little different way than we've approached it in the past, we could have a real effect on the large scale. Yes. You know, I think, Tim, it's important. <clears throat> People don't connect to organizations. People don't connect to government agencies. You can't connect to IMPD. I can connect to Officer Adam. I can connect to Officer Chris. I could... And so what's happening is we're personalizing public safety. And so when Adam started, I said simply, it's cheers. I want everyone to know your name. Mm -hmm. And that's happened. And so now they know Officer Adam, Medic Shane. These are personal people, not agencies. And our, our, our number one currency, for lack of better explanation, our number one piece of um, useful item for our neighbors doesn't cost us any money. It's a business card with with access to not 911 or this system or that, but our our cell phone number where they can call somebody up in the moment. And the number of um, benefits that we've gleaned from just them having that dialogue with us go beyond just their own personal situation. Now they're calling because, again, that light bulb moment for them, they want a better quality of life for themselves, but they also want it for their their block, their their area of the neighborhood. And so that maybe that criminal activity that they used to just consider a cost of living on their block, well, now that's not okay to them anymore. And, and so they're reaching out and saying, what can I do? And they're not expecting for you to solve all of the problems, but what can I do to change this? You know, And so provide them with resources that they can report those things or, or you know, we call our, our buddies in and say, hey, can you take a look at this for our, our friend over here? And um, you know, it's, it's, it's changing one block at a time. And sometimes it's just one or two relationships on that block that are really taking it somewhere. Yeah. To, to be clear for our, our listeners, you, you are 100% police officer. You have the full authority of a police officer. You're fully equipped. Uh, but your job is a little bit different than, than how a typical police officer operates. Explain some more about that, of how you approach the job differently than most officers. Right off the bat, without even getting um, good at what we <laughs> what we now do, uh, right off the bat, the game changer was time. Um, early on, when we pulled statistics of you know what our neighbors are receiving when they call nine one one, when they have an issue, um, they're getting less than five minutes of. FaceTime with law enforcement before they're moving on to the next thing. And, you know, it's, it's a complicated issue because our neighborhood is, is busy. We are um, argue, arguably per capita one of the busiest areas for public safety in the country. Um, and and our, our patrol officers are taxed with um, getting on scene of an incident, resolving it as quickly as they can because the radio just does not stop. Um, and for their eight and a half hour shift, they're moving the entire time. 
So when you call and you have an issue that maybe doesn't rise to like a, uh, a, a large-scale criminal incident going on, but it's uh, more of a civil issue, more of a disturbance, more of a neighborhood incident or situation, um, oftentimes these have been growing for quite some time. When you only got a few minutes with a patrol officer to um, really triage the situation and come up with a quick solution, you get a lot of, um, hey, you know, I'm sorry, this isn't a criminal situation, this is a civil situation, um, you're going to have to find a way to uh, resolve this amongst yourselves or, or you're going to need to, you know, call code enforcement or basically it gets turfed off somewhere. They're, they're doing their best to give what limited resources they can give in a few minutes mm -hmm. before they're moving on to uh, that high priority run. For us, our average scene time very early on was about 28.8 minutes. Clearly from, from four or five minutes to 28 minutes, although it's still not forever, mm -hmm. that's a significant more amount of time that we can spend working through that issue. And in reality, if we looked at those same numbers today, you would see even more time because we're coming back the second, third, fourth time. Now we're in a relationship with them and, and we're just popping in even when they don't need anything and, you know, sitting on their front porch when we see them out while we drive by or, you know, just stopping in and saying, hey, how would that appointment go? Or, you know, how is this situation doing? We've helped people find jobs. We've helped people find new places to live. So we got lots to catch up on sometimes. That time allows a bigger relationship to develop. And we get to better understand what is making certain situations tick. And so we can give a much more holistic answer to situations when we have more time to converse and digest what it is that's yeah. actually going on. Um, so that is, that is a huge part. Um, we are not held to any expectation to just hurry up and move on to the next run. Uh, we get to kind of pick and choose what we go on, what we help with. Um, and that is a huge advantage to us. And I, I am fully convinced there's many guys that are working the street who if they had more time, they'd be doing the same thing. Uh, it's just not the reality. We are truly afforded through this project and through Shepherd to devote the amount of time to be that true beat policeman. Tim, <clears throat> I think it's important to understand that Adam is an employee of Shepherd. Yes. While he is an IMPD officer, He's a reserve officer, full police powers. We're paying his salary, which enables him to stay focused on this and not get pulled in other directions. Yeah, that's an important point. Adam, what are some of the most common needs that you see in the community? Um, so we, we obviously, having two public safety professionals on kind of two different trajectories in the same car, um, we're able to cover a lot of different kinds of situations. The other is the Shane other Hardwick, the, the paramedic, paramedic that, that you've already talked last to last month. Yes, and um, because of that, 
we are able to really look at things from several different angles and um, when when we do that we're, we're starting to break things down into smaller pieces and often I think a common theme amongst all of them is there are all of these resources available but there are small barriers within those systems like you know I can get the appointment I, I've got the insurance um, I can get the appointment with the specialist that I need but then transportation becomes the issue um, many of our neighbors don't have reliable transportation uh, or reliable people that have that transportation. And so you start looking at systems like uh, Medicaid cabs. Um, and there's been a lot of changes in the way those are deployed over the last several years. And the system has its flaws. Um, and it, it's got flaws in, you know, there's probably more need than they have the resources to, to make those trips. Um, but there's also the fact that, it, that those requests for transportation go to a clearinghouse that, that, you know, I hate to compare it to Uber or whatever, but the, the driver themselves has some discretion in what they take. And sometimes they'd rather take the runs that's not in this neighborhood mm. than, um, coming down here to offer that transportation. Or do they pay better? Or, right. And so we can do all of the legwork, and sometimes that's weeks worth of work. Sometimes it takes months to get certain appointments, and we can set everything up for success, and then the transportation falls through. And it, and it puts everything back into the cycle. We have, we have folks that have waited six months for an appointment, get them the appointment, the transportation falls through at the last minute, um, the, the doctor's office is now uh, upset that the patient didn't make it to them. We get a lot of doctors who essentially fire that patient for no-show mm -hmm. when it wasn't their fault. Um, and, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a big issue. Um, there is... There are, there are food insecurity issues that probably aren't exactly what people think of when they think of food insecurities. Um, they have perhaps access to foods, but not access to quality foods. Mm -hmm. um, and Or they've got the means to get that food through, you know, food stamp programs, vouchers, whatever. But again, transportation, mm -hmm. um, you know, so they end up using those dollars at the convenience store as opposed to going to a higher quality grocery store to get that, that food. That has downstream effects and health and many other things. And then our neighborhood in and of itself is consumed with, you know, I mean, I hate to classify it as, but Predatory business practices, you know, your your gas stations become um, the food source. And so, you know, they all go into the program to accept the food stamps. And again, you've got the food issue there. You've got um, 
check cashing stores and and payday loans on several corners, the pawn shops, the buy here, liquor here. stores, the buy here, pay here, um, all of these. Th- it's it's expensive to be poor. I mean, it just it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and without that future orientation that that keeps popping up. You go and you sign for for this vehicle on payments because you think you can hit that payment. But then a guy like me comes behind and looks at your sale contracts and and realizes that you're paying $15,000 for a car that the dealership probably has $1,500 in. And it's not going to last them the term of the loan. And so they get behind on that and they make sacrifices in other property that maybe is worth the money to... To then keep their, tra- it's just it's a it's a broken system, mm-hmm. and and it at every point um, takes advantage of their situation. And uh, many of our neighbors just go from crisis to crisis. That's how they live their life. They're living in their amygdala, yeah. that fight or flight mechanism that God created for a purpose, but not for us to stay there. Mm-hmm. It takes away your ability to think logically. And so why does Adam get called to all of a sudden someone pulled a gun and they're like, what are you mad about? Well, he looked at me. What do you mean? You know, uh, I think it's um, the, we, we have to train people how to think differently. Uh, that's a collective issue. I think mental health is yeah. one of those issues that we see symptoms, but there are causes, not the symptoms. Uh, I, I think that what's happening is Adam and Shane are sort of the tip of the spear that allows folks who don't know how to advocate or navigate mm-hmm. be able to get the services they critically need. What 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 lens we are looking through in public safety is we're seeing the the end result or the crisis that comes from all of these things he just mentioned all all of the stresses of life all of the um many crises converging together and so when we get dispatched to that disturbance run and we show up and we're, we're struggling to understand why these two uh, parties are so upset with each other uh, and why it's now turning violent. When we're afforded the opportunity to kind of break that apart, slow it down, ask a few questions, you, you pretty quickly get to the root of things. You know, I, I remember being on a disturbance a couple of years ago um, that was was violent. It was the third callback to the address in a matter of an hour. Uh, the two parties, even though they kept being separated, just kept coming back together and causing more of a disturbance. Um, the officers that were responding repeatedly were getting frustrated. Um, nothing necessarily criminal had happened yet, but now it's just a, it's a nuisance call at this point. And we get on scene and, and just asking a few questions that maybe we're better equipped to, an, to ask as opposed to, you know, uh, a patrol officer that doesn't have the time or the back end resources really to get to those questions. We find out that this 
couple had just spent their last money on dinner. And it was a pound of meat, a box of hamburger helper, and orange soda. And they were having an argument. And that argument was not resolving itself because ultimately what kept it going was who was going to get to take that food with them because it's the last of what they had. They were at the end of their rope. And, and ultimately, asking them a few questions, this is how we solved it. We understood the situation now. We had both parties separate and calmed down. We had gotten a couple of the other patrol officers back into service so they could take the next call. And I just went to the gentleman of the house and I said, if I buy your dinner tonight, can we just let her leave with this? And he looked at me funny for a second and goes, yeah, I guess that would work. And so we've got a gracious donor that keeps me stocked with McDonald's gift cards. Uh, he's owns a couple local McDonald's and um, I went to my glove box and pulled a few of those out and said, you know, this will cover your dinner tonight, probably your breakfast tomorrow. And then tomorrow we'll come back and see you. And it was over. It was done and over with. The female half left. She had a place to go. She had her dinner figured out. And she was on her way. Um, we showed up the next day. We had gotten some emergency food bags from the pantry. and showed up with food in hand and with some plans on how to help stabilize moving forward. And um, I had noticed while I was standing there, the, the one guy was communicating with us that we had dealt with the day before. But there was two other guys in the house that were very reluctant to come to the door because the police were there. And we go and we turn around and we're about to leave. And one of them comes flying up to the door. He goes, wait, 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 wait. Did you really just come back here to give us more food? Yeah. He's like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen a cop do. And, and that was genuine. That, he, that was a genuine response to the fact that he's probably not had great interactions with the police in the, in the past. And let's face it, any of us get a little nervous when a police officer gets behind you in your car or shows up at your doorstep. Um, and we built a good relationship through that. Uh, and there was more opportunities opportunities for us to engage uh, the, the um, resident of that house until he moved out of the neighborhood. Wow, it's a great illustration of the work you do. Jay, what stands out to you in terms of the lasting difference that, that Adam and Shane are making in the community? They're hope givers. It's not simply we're gonna lock you up, it's, hey, if you've done something, there's consequences, but we can help you. Adam also runs our Celebrate Recovery program. So if you're dealing with addictions, here's my card. I can help you. If, you, if you're dealing with some medical issues, here's how we can help you get into a clinic. It takes away what is seen as insurmountable hurdles mm -hmm. and say, listen, together we can solve this. And then people, once they have hope, 
everything changes. Your perspective is different. Absolutely. And and so they're really hope givers in the neighborhood, using the badge, using uh, the credentials as a paramedic to be able to change the conversation and then to say, here's how we can help you and here's how you can help yourself. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Jay. Uh, for 37 years, Shepherd Community has made a lasting difference in the lives of thousands and thousands of neighbors. And the Shepherd team couldn't do that work without the support of donors, partners, and volunteers. To learn more about how you can help, please visit shepherdcommunity.org. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Thank you.